Welcome to another episode of Europe's B2B Taxes podcast. Today, a special episode with uh, my co-host Patrick Trümpi, uh, newly Chief Sales Officer of Unique, uh, making conversational intelligence happen in Europe. Um, Patrick, thanks so much for joining us and sharing quite a few actionable insights with us also on how to have better sales conversations. What are two tips um, sales rep can implement immediately still this Friday afternoon? Yes, welcome, uh, Manuel. Excited to be on the other side. Great idea of yours to put that into practice. And uh, I'll start right away. Um, so first thing, and I say that because I've recently had a lot of calls with people who wanted my advice on this. Start, I'm, I'm thinking about how to start a discovery call because many salespeople struggle still to start a discovery call and then make sure that they can hype deep into the case and not just ask a few shallow questions and not get overruled by their prospects who potentially say at some point, hey, here to 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 listen about what you do, guys, and not I'm not here to talk. Now, so the first thing is extremely important that you set the stage correctly and right and you have to set the stage even though you sent the agenda beforehand doesn't matter you set the stage once again in the call so what i usually do is i say hey hi manuel um, thanks for finding the time today is it okay if i make a suggestion about how we go how we go about this call today and I yes. answer, I, I, I wait for the yes, right? When you have the yes, you continue you, and everybody gives the yes. I've never experienced in the last uh, thousand discovery calls that I've done that they said no, never happened. So you have to go. And then you can say something like, yeah, let's do a quick introduction around Manuel. I'm especially interested in um, your role at your company, what exactly you do and your responsibilities. Then I would ask you a few questions so that I can, in a third step, give you give you very exact and precise information what we can do for you at Unique. I do not want to, you know, um, talk the whole time just about Unique because I could talk about that for two hours and you got, you're going to be bored for sure. You're going to be like, hey, you're telling me so much stuff that is not necessary here. And I want to not do that, right? So I want to, to, to give you very precise information. Is that okay with you, Manuel? For sure. And then I say, hey, the goal actually, and you can say that at the beginning for sure as well, to, you know, the goal today is to, to also get that right. The goal for me is to find out whether it is, it does make sense for both of us to invest more time thereafter. That's my goal. Maybe a follow-up question on that one, because I find it really interesting that it goes into so much detail. What's the balance of also having a very short, like high authority intros, like, Hi, Patrick. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I'd love to ask you a few questions to better understand your situations. Then I can show you uh, if we are fit, how other customers achieved um, the resolution of these challenges, how they did that. And then uh, over to you for any questions before we can take a decision how to move forward. Sounds good. So like, how do you balance making it really a 30 second, like just like status delta intro versus um, a longer intro where you really walk people through the thought process? Yeah, I mean, I did make it a bit longer now. I even brought the explanation about, you know, I don't want to talk too much about whatever. So I, I usually sense first the, the the feeling and the emotional little bit of the person on the other side and, and make sure, you know, it depends on the level of the person as well. But 
to have, I, 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 I realized that most salespeople are not um, assertive enough when they do it. Right. The structure is not great. So the way you just did it works maybe if you speak from a CEO to a CEO um, and just like that, you know, and it sounds good uh, in the end. Um, but to sounds good, I cannot really say no that much. It's it's already implying that it's, it should sound good, right? It's not like a real honest question. So, so we we'll just ask something like, how does that work for you? Or how do you feel about that? Like exactly. open question, giving people how do you space. Feel that, yeah. How do you feel about this? It's a very good, it's a very good uh, answer. What do you do if people say like, no, I'm, I'm just like here to have mentally popcorn and be like, no, just give me a demo. Just give me a pitch. What do you do? Yes. Um, so at this point, um, I do. So the first thing I do afterwards, um, after that intro, so I've never had, it did never happen to me that after that intro, somebody said, no, I just want a demo. It never happened. Um, and I also, um, what I do afterward, thereafter right away is uh, asking your expectations. Manuel, uh, to, to, first to you, what is your expectation of today's call after the introduction round? So I'm asking about the expectation. And then somebody usually says, most of the people usually say, hey, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about you and Unique and what you guys do, right? You hear it there and you use that again to strengthen what you want to go about. You use that again to say, okay, Manuel, in order to do that, to give you precise information what Unique does, I do ask you for a few for a few questions now. Still okay with you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Okay. So you do what's called looping, right? So like, I love to answer your question about like how much the price, like how much people typically invest, but I'd love to ask a few questions first to give you a better answer. Exactly. So you have to give, um, the person a reason why it is good for them that you are not talking first about your product. And it is a good reason. It is the best reason you have is imagine you talk about your product for two hours and they get bored and it happens to, uh, it happens a right. lot. Uh, right. So you give them the reason, Hey, I don't want to be like that. I want to make most efficient, you know, Manuel today we only have 30 minutes, Manuel. Is it okay so that I can make sure that we get through these 30 minutes most effectively and you get to, to, to learn the, what you need about unique. If I ask you a few questions first, for sure. something like this. Yeah. Uh, and this is also a thing why I'm, I'm really excited to partner up like a sales playbook, uh, my sales playbook had on with unique because you, for example, measure the, the engagement ratio of people, right? Like how much people talk and how much they listen. So recently did a fun LinkedIn poll, like who's an elephant, like having two big ears to listen and who's a lion having a big mouth to roar, got around like 180 votes, 28k views, I guess. And 70 people pretend they're elephants. I guess like it's, it's like 70% are above average drivers right on the road. How do you use unique potentially even or how do you assess also in hiring sales and I think you went from zero to 10 salespeople pretty quickly if somebody's a good at empathy and discovery and asking questions. Yeah, so we are soon 10. Yeah, I am about, I need another four actually for, for Berlin. I'm still in, in discussions. I have my five people in Switzerland still need the the four uh, in Germany. So then in total, we are, we are 10 people. Um, so one thing, so the first thing I do is I am using a um a test it's principlesu.com that i'm using and you see a score there exactly for that you see how um, person-oriented people are how empathetic people are 
and then a third metric on the on the same on the same uh, category and um, that's one thing and then another thing that i'm using is i'm using um, first of all what i what i what i always want to try to achieve in every hiring discussion is i want to person make them feel that they're not in a hiring discussion that they are in a normal talk with a normal person and forget about that i'm going to be their future boss and there is some things they need to be careful of none of this so the the, the only the, the one thing i want to achieve is that people say and i actually did i also um i was also recording that with unique that this that call and i have a, a moment a snippet out of that call and the person said hey that was the best and the most unusual uh, hiring discussion that person ever had because it felt like a normal conversation it didn't right. feel like this you want to know this and want to know that and and this and that and kudos to me and to unique that's that's what the person said and that's for me, a confirmation that um, that that it's been done right. I want a person not to make feel that they give answers that I want to hear. I want them to give me answers that about stories about their lives. And that's why to go tactical again, I also I always ask the question: Tell me about what was what was the worst moment in your life? So you go literally worst moment in life, not in not in sales life, but like in life, parent, parent life. died, like a broken broken knee, like could never do sports again, like whatever it was. Like that yeah, thing. yeah, and yeah, exactly. And it's really about the whole life, and it's really the worst. Like what what do they experience? And I heard really bad stuff. Like like the one one of the last stories I heard is like abandoned by the mother at age eleven. She just disappeared, never returned again. Um didn't say bye, nothing, you know, like these kind of stories. And um it's it's brutal. It's really brutal what you hear. But it shows you when people tell you this, they feel safe enough to tell you this. And then it's kind of something yeah, that gives you a little bit of safety that builds trust when somebody's honestly interested in right. these bad moments. What do you think about 36 questions to love? Like, are you familiar with the, the concept and study? No. no. So as a um, scientific team, they did this like, and it's like, is love measurable, right? And they came up with a guide of like 36 questions, like three times 12. There's even a, an app in the App Store, like Google um, iPhone. And it's like, if two people go face to face, looking each other in the eye, like, and they all go through these, these 36 questions, the probability that they fall in love is, is much higher. And I think it goes very against like common sense, right? Like common, like, for example, I'm like, as you know, like pretty outspoken and um, not politically correct. And I had this also with like a colleague, I think back at the World Economic Forum, and we had lunch first time, like half an hour. And I think we talked about religion, politics, and relationships in like the first 50 minutes. But after that, we were pretty good to go, like after 50 minutes. It was pretty much phone call, like, hey, I need this in two minutes. Good if I come down, like, sure. Like, there's another time, like, fuck you, I don't have time, like, later. <laughs> but we, we could, after 50 minutes, have like a very human conversation. And what I'd be interested in learning from you here is how does that question, like, what's the worst moment in your life? transfer to discovery calls as well do you ask a prospect what was the worst moment in your professional life in your current role amazing question 
honestly, I never thought about this, um, how that question could be translated into a discovery call. What was the worst? What was the worst challenge? No, I am. Um, so when I'm thinking of this, I think it's more, I would use it more the opposite way. I would use, I would ask probably a question. One goal of discovery or of the whole qualification process, right, is to find a champion at some point. And um, especially what, what we both know that happens often is that there's people confuse a champion with a coach, with somebody who right. gives a little bit of information and helps them, but he doesn't or she doesn't really have an, a real interest in getting that uh, technology very like really going. It doesn't affect that person's career that much. Right. And that's something you have to find out in order to find the champion. So I, I guess how I would translate it is more like um, if you if you feel like you have a champion in front of you, um, you have to ask in some way the question for you personally. What is the one thing that you would want to have that you want to achieve in the next six, twelve, eighteen months? Or something like if you if we were in twelve months, think about twelve months ahead. What would need to happen so that you would say this meeting today was really really worth it? Interesting one. So then, then you circle it back to this specific meeting, right? Not to the prospect's future. To which degree do you use post-mortem questions? I mean, two examples. If you, if like it's Christmas 2022, like in 30 months from now, and you open that second bottle of champagne because you're so happy that you're so successful, like what happened? And the negative one would be like, in, if we talk again in a year and your company is dead and you lost your job, what went wrong? Yeah. Um... I, the one question I just mentioned, I am using frequently what, uh, what do you think in 12 months looking back, what needs to happen so that you would say this was really worth it or that was a successful year. I do use that. Other than that, um, what I use as well, but that's mostly in cold calls is so kind of the last, my last restore question. I, I, I call it the last resort question. Um, so basically it's when, when you're in a cold call and the person already had two objections, for instance, and now a third objection is coming. Um, so what you can, what you can say when, when the person says something like, I'm not interested. Um, is something like, Hey, what would need to happen for you in the next six or 12 months? So that this could change, right? Um, that's something I've I, I've been using. But other than that, I'm not using postmortem questions heavily. Do you use like the fairy tale question, like like from a scale of one to seven, like how happy are you with the current solution? And like Europe, people always say like four, five, six, and then like how what would need to happen to get from five to seven? Um, no, I'm not using a scale because uh, good that you asked the second question as well, um, because a scale by itself is not saying anything. I mean, if that person says four, doesn't mean anything. So I go directly to the second question that you that you mentioned. I go directly in, when you look at your solution now, what doesn't work as well for you? Yeah, for sure. I think the scale, like, I mean, the one to seven, like a scale, like some, some scientific methods, um, I don't care so much about, like, why it's <laughs> one to seven, right? But I think it's just like you need to establish a status quo with people, right? And we, for example, in one dot, like, AI startup selling to commerce, um, on Body Products Hot, da da da. 
uh, before Sales Playbook, we always struggled with this because we, we said like we make product onboarding faster, easier and, and less expensive. So people are like, oh, about 50K investment a year is expensive. Like, and we ask like, how much does it cost you today? And people always say like, I don't have any clue. And it's very hard to sell improvements without a baseline, right? I mean, it's just, just like relative, like improvements don't work without the baseline. Yes, totally correct. And um, here comes the beauty of selling a product compared to selling a service. Um, and, and the thing is with, not with every product, by the way, but uh, in our case, um, establishing the status quo is extremely important. So if I take Unique now as an example, if I find out, for instance, um, and that's, and then I ask you, and I asked you actually in the last episode that you, you were the guest, um, how much time do you take for a follow-up? And uh, you said the video is like, or it could be up to 15 minutes, right? Now, that's something that is important for me. I ask them, hey, how much salespeople, if I talk to salespeople, how much time does it do you take for, for follow-ups? They say 15 minutes. How much time do you need per week to put data into Salesforce from sales calls that you had? They tell me four hours and, uh, you know, things like that. And that stuff, when I know that, I know, okay, we said there are 100 salespeople. Everybody is using four hours a week, putting data into the CRM that we can automate at Unique, and they all need 15 minutes for a follow-up. We can make that five minutes at Unique because our, our AI summarizes the call automatically. It will highlight the most important mo moments of the call, and you can send the link to a customer so that they can comment and they can interact with you on that. Right. And, and that's, so for me, it's pretty easy to find in the situation of the people certain aspects that I can then give, you know, I know, okay, CRM input, we can make that four hours, zero hours, because it will be filled automatically. And that's, yeah. so that's why it's important. Yeah. Really and I, th important. I think, I think this is actually fun. Like it, it's on the edge of trolling, but I mean, it's fun for, for us as salespeople, right? If you ask somebody like, how do you hit 60 to 80% reply rates on cold, cold outbound? I was like, well, we don't. Like, well, would you like to? Like, yes, of course. Like, well, then start sending videos on LinkedIn after connecting with people. Like, yeah. and, but that, I think it's like what Josh Brown calls poking the bear, right? I think one you use that unique is like, um, how do you gain specific insights uh, from from listening to conversations after a call? And it's like, well, we don't record calls. Like, well, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty, we actually, yeah, it's pretty it's short. Very good. Yeah, transformation, right? <laughs> Definitely, definitely. So what we do in, in cold calls is actually we don't we don't ask them whether they do record their calls or not. We we ask the first question we ask in the cold call is whether how they are happy with the results of recording their calls. And then you're yeah. like, hmm, wait, no, we are not we are not recording our calls. <laughs> so we kind of assume we go in with the assumption that they do it. Um, and are kind of surprised, you know, surprised. And they're like, oh, fuck, should I be doing that? Okay, it's it's sometimes and not not too hard on their head, but a little bit. And this is like, hey, how are you happy with the recordings of your calls? Oh, damn, we should be recording calls? Fuck, yes, we should. Yeah. And uh, may, may, I, may I give you like um, a very politically incorrect example and you can decide to cut it out afterwards. So... Been at, at the bachelor party of a friend once in Amsterdam, I think it was, and we've been to a nightclub, and it was just like for for the bachelor, basically like organizing like a lap dance or so. And then one one girl came over to me and told me like, "Would you like to get a lap dance?" I was like, "No, like not at all." 
So she walked two steps, she came back and just told me, it's like, in two minutes, I will make you come. I'm over there. And she walked away. So like, it was not, nothing about the how, right? It was not it was like, okay, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to learn more. Like it is not valuable or so. The, the intent is not there, but I'm intrigued to understand. And I, I think then like coming back to, to the point, like how much value do you need to provide in discovery or in outreach and how much is just creating enough intrigue for somebody to jump on a call and to go one step further in the buyer journey? I don't. I, that's a very good question. I think not much. You don't have to provide much uh, in a discovery call. At least that's what we, what I've been doing the past four or five years. Um, I think it's already quite valuable for the customer when you help them uncover certain things they haven't been thinking of how much you know when i ask them the question hey how much time do you need your sales rep to enter data into the crm they say i don't sometimes i don't know right and then i'm like yeah let's find that out that's one one to do because in order to evaluate our solution we will need that number then i can give you a very concrete business case so you you, you help them um, you help them with the business case, which makes their lives easier. And I think so when you go very deep um, in the end, when you have things like I mean, that's a very simple example. It happens in our day to day work with the CRM uh, with the four hours a week. And then you can say, hey, Manuel, now what we found today with your 100 salespeople, four hours a week means 16 hours a month. Right. So thousand uh, six hundred hours a month times 12, right? So two, two, 20,000 hours a, a year, uh, CRM entry. Yeah. Now, if we could half that, is it interesting for you to talk further about this? Do you, do you ask, is it interesting? Or do you ask to which, in, in, to which degree is it interesting? Like, because is it interesting is an open question hunting for, uh, is a closed question hunting for yes. Yeah, no, your, 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 your option is, is better. Um, definitely. I, I learned that like that the cheapest way to make a closed question to an open question is just replace, put to which extent before the question. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it works, yeah. right? Yeah, it works. it works. Like, do you want to have another beer? Yes. To which extent do you want to have another beer? Like, to the extent of a big one, to the extent <laughs> of a punch, to the extent of a pitcher right now. And, and it works, right? Um, so if you onboard junior salespeople, they're not they're not there yet, right? They not don't have that they didn't record like seventy podcast episodes like you. And like before, they say like, is it is it the, is the price okay for you? Like to which degree is the price okay for you? It's like, well, to the degree if I could get one more free seat and one more free month and a two-hour onboarding, then it's okay. So you increase flow of information. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's another important tip that you just gave here immediately after you are naming your price no matter where in the sales cycle no matter what ask immediately to which degree is that price what do you think about that no here you can say to what do you think i mean then then there's not a difference um how do you feel about that price i usually ask right away right away never just ask the price and you know don't don't and another one if it's the first time you 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 are communicating a price, don't send an offer with the price via email ever. Right. Just book a 15-minute call, go with the person through your offer, show them the price, ask the question, how do you feel about that price? Uh, you need to understand whether the person 
uh, thinks of of it as a value cost relation that the value cost relation is the ratio is not good or whether uh, logistically the money is not available right now these right. are completely two, two of different options that need to be tackled differently and and i think people also underestimate that once you send something by email it's written down and it might be taken teared out of context and people forward about it and it's like it costs 50k and other people like the cfo doesn't see the same value that it is cost in like two conversations like we just say, let this head, uh, but yeah, I completely yeah. agree. So keeping this, keeping this crisp, right? Like your idea, like to 30 minutes present club, um, Dominic's idea just before is actually 20 minutes. Like it's not called 20 minutes as a magazine because of nowhere might be 20 minutes in the future. Uh, I will also only ask you the second half of the rapid fire questions because you don't like the first three so much as I do. So what's your number one source of improving your own sales skills after 10 years plus in the game, I'd say, like any people, podcasts, books that you can recommend outside of John McMahon and qualified sales leader, everybody knows. <laughs> I told everybody, yeah, I can see it, say that again. No, uh, books, yeah. I mean, by far, by far books, I have to say books though, because there is no, oh, at this podcast actually, but not by listening to it because I'm, I'm in there anyway, but by talking to, uh, to people. So I can only recommend um, everybody else to, to, to start conversations, to reach out to people um, on LinkedIn, just, you know, when you're starting a head of sales role, for instance, or an SDR management role, or when, or when you got into an account executive role from an SDR or reach out to other account executives and ask, Hey, how was that? When you, when you were promoted, what did you make? What, 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 what did you do to get successful at the role and something like that? I think uh, because that's the reason why we started this podcast was uh, we realized when we talked to people, it's actually you learn so much and by just recording it you add value for others and uh, but it was like you know egoistic we had we had uh, we learned much a lot about these these questions uh, these talks about uh, yeah absolutely um, regarding regarding b2b taxes communities i mean there's ref genius there's um revenue collective newly integrated into pavilion there's a few SaaS communities in north america there's really nothing like in europe and for sure not switzerland why do you feel that is the case and what needs to happen to have more of a learning community and have sales becoming a better reputation? And I'm aware that's three questions in one, sorry. Yeah, and you answered the question yourself by your last question. <laughs> Improve the reputation. It's the reputation, I think. The reputation leads to sales not being a profession that is uh, that with, with with a bad image and people uh, i mean there are a lot of that there are loud salespeople, but still there's not a big community i think uh, in in europe especially switzerland and germany yeah um the, the, the community is far behind and obviously i don't know nobody took the, the opportunity right yet to to really build that community let's uh, do it um, from, yeah for let's sure let's do it <laughs> and then what do you wish you would have known when you were 20 and how old are you now yeah, I'm 32 and I would have wished that I knew that tip that I gave with the introduction in the discovery call that I knew that before because I wasted so many calls in the first two years. I wasted so much time to drive four hours from Frankfurt to Munich and sometimes from Zurich to Geneva to get into a one hour meeting that we could have 
had in 10 minutes over the phone crazy. and saying that was useless. And I did that quite often because I had no one um, at the beginning of my Starman career. There was no one who knew how B2B selling is done, really. Like nobody has done it. And it was also, you know, it didn't exist in Switzerland that much. So yeah. it was beginning of B2B SaaS sales. Um, nobody knew it anyway. Now we are a bit further, obviously. There are a few experts in Switzerland, in Germany. And uh, but the, back then, I had we had no one uh, who really understood B2B tech sales. True, true. And and what's the most interesting trend in B2B sales you you see emerging right now? Besides conversational intelligence, recording video calls, and creating highlights with unique. Yeah, good question. Um, if I'd know that, I'd probably already jump on 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 the road and uh, and do it automation yeah i'm not sure how far this goes uh probably transactional deals going to be automated more and more emails that write themselves and stuff like that i hear a lot of i do hear a lot of stuff that is ongoing but to be honest in that respect i am quite i i do have quite a conservative thing not conservative but i'm not not like an but like a thinking that in 10 years we can automate everything. I heard that the last two years, 10 years, when I started that StarMind AI and stuff, you know, they already said, yeah, driving cars in 10 years, self-driving cars. And yeah, it's, it's people are too optimistic about the what AI, is going to change. AI yeah. is automating the world and then Siri doesn't like put the alarm clock right or change the song if it doesn't have you correctly. I said yes, to, exactly. to like our HomePod recently, like good night, and then the thing said good night, and then continue to playing rock music. It's like okay, not impressed. Um, last curveball question for you: You mentioned how how important this is to create a natural environment when um, interviewing salespeople, like for sales and acquisition. Um, curveball question: Like how about doing a hire B two B tech sales hiring podcast where you just have like talent and just interview them for half an hour, just having con a natural conversation where they want to go in your career instead of headhunting where it's really non-candidate focused. Sounds like a smart idea, yeah. So we start yeah. another podcast? Now, three podcasts to take, right? Like one for customer success, one for hiring and the one we're currently doing. So there's, there's no lack of opportunity. No lack of opportunity, no. That's like all. the idea. Wrap, wrapping it up then, Patrick, thanks so much for being on the other side and co-host for once as a guest, sharing tons of valuable knowledge and insights on how to run discovery calls without driving for eight hours from uh, Frankfurt to Munich or another city, wasting time, um, how to convert more conversations and also how to make sales more natural and giving it a better reputation in uh, Europe, and especially Dach. Thanks so much and uh, happy selling. Yeah, thank you, Manuel. It was nice to be on this other side for once. Thanks for interviewing. Thank you.